Hello and welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast. Here with you once again, keeping you nice and cozy, warm and safe and healthy uh, in these pod quarantine times. I am Ernest. I am. What's this? Even higher fidelity than last week? Hunter. How did he do it? Yeah. When the heck? I am shitting out microphones right now. See, I beat you to hi-fi, but you just keep... At this rate, you will be studio quality within like a week. Uh, I'm uh, I'm just Drew. It's just me. And that's just how it's going to be this week. It's just me. Everybody, everybody doing well? Everybody feeling feeling uh nice and nice and good yeah i'm all right i went for a nice walk uh today oh yeah i went for a lovely walk um and then i did a little workout and then i remembered why i tend to not do either because workout outside outside or inside no it was an indoor one Uh, i don't like it when people see me how out of shape i am do you incorporate like any yoga poses in your workout I do a ton of stretches yeah. uh, for my horrible body. Uh, I'm out of sorts. All this, it's the podcasting, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I have been doing way more. <laughs> what is that? Is that Hollywood that was... makes me wanna? <laughs> is, don't, that the, uh, is that don't the worry. worst song from a new car seat album? <laughs> Wait, what's that? What are we talking about this I'm week? I'm sick of my friends talking about their workout routines. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. I was going to go through my whole <laughs> yoga workout routine so the listeners know kind of what to do when they're sitting around all day and they're getting all stiff. I'm Man, sorry. Too, I was a little, bad, huh? little early with that transition. Ernest, you know, go ahead, go ahead with your whole workout routine real quick first. You know, start out with um, flat on your back and then try to elevate your feet over your head while keeping your knees unbent. And you'll feel that nice stretch down your back through your glutes. What are you Very doing? Muffled. Very <laughs> what muffled. Are you, well, yeah, what are you doing right now? <laughs> and I then go into, playing in my phone. I don't know why, what's happening right now. And then go into talking. happy baby, which is when you grab like your ankles, feet area, and you bend your knees and you start to rock back and forth on your spine. And you'll start to feel all those knots coming loose. Wow. I'm so glad that we've uh, gone down this wormhole of, of uh, stretches that you can do. Welcome we to We do, Bought a Mic, a yoga podcast. Um, we yeah. could do a whole segment on quarantine yoga routines for the listeners, but we won't. Yeah, there are a lot of segments we could do <laughs> and uh, shouldn't, including will, most of the ones that we do. <laughs> I will add that to the list of future uh, future segment ideas, though. Uh, yoga, favorite yoga positions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more of a down vibe. dog kind of a guy. That's just me, though. Yeah, but what about yoga? You know what I mean? <laughs> da- anyway. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Transition <laughs> to Cobra. Um, so one uh, yoga pose that I really like to do is um, can't cool me down. You guys know that pose? So I just want to – so you think that my transition of abruptly coming in with Hollywood was a worse transition than that one? 
I just want to make sure that that's clear. Um, um yeah, but just marginally worse. Okay, okay, not okay, even right, that much what? worse. Okay. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, marginally worse uh, than the last one, uh, Car Seat Headrest has a new album. <laughs> that's the one. There we go. We found it, by boys. <laughs> Making a door less open. Do we want to unpack this title, or should we? Uh, I mean, have you that? have you looked up the meaning of it? Because it's truly like meaningless. He just said that he liked <laughs> the idea of uh, a title that was artsy and like people wanted to look into it, but then didn't Will. have any more meaning. <laughs> Will. Um, which you do have to respect. It's fine. Um, so yeah, Carsey's got a new album. This is my favorite band. Uh, one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, this is uh, a, uh, someone say a departure from their very recent sound, but also in a lot of ways, a return to form from their sound of years past. Uh, the main difference, of course, being this is not a lo-fi album. Uh, however, Will Toledo has uh, very frequently used heavy synths in his music. Uh, he's also just not, you know, the unifying factor of those albums that he did do that was the fuzz. And the fuzz is not here uh, in this album on purpose. However, this is still, I think, a very good album. I'm, and I'm a fan of it. What do you guys think about the album in general? It's not my favorite car seat, um, but I don't think it's a misfire. I think that there's a lot to love about it. It'll probably end up in my top 10 of the year. We'll see how the year shakes out. But I, I find myself returning to certain tracks a lot. Um, and I, I think, Drew, you did write up a track-by-track thoughts that I think we should try to go through but I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and say that can't cool me down and deadlines parentheses thoughtful are mm. my two favorite tracks on uh the album uh don't confuse it with deadlines parentheses hostile which is not as great a, of a track deadlines is the one that feels a lot more like housey dance techno sort of throbbing and that is unlike anything I've heard from Car Seat Headrest. And I know that he's pulling a lot from his other side project, um, which is called, we I brought it up before. It's One Trade Danger, which is actually Andrew Katz, the drummer's side project. Okay, that's right. That Will essentially just kind of like, you know, joined. Um, because this is all, there is a massive stereo gum interview with Will Toledo that's very good if you're interested in, uh, you know, his thoughts. Uh, where they go track by track on the album. And yeah, he basically said it started as just Andrew recording on the bus and then they would just, you know, he would join in. And now in with this album, this is the first album that Will Toledo has really uh, allowed for true collaboration. And that was with great intention um, because aesthetically, like in the singles, uh, the music videos introduce this character named Trait uh, that Will, it's Will Toledo wearing a like gas mask uh, and the, you know, the supposed point of that is to take focus away from himself. Uh, and, you know, I guess, uh, I don't know, just embrace the the band feel of his band, because that ultimately was his goal, is to be in a band. He didn't right. want to be an auteur, uh, which yeah. is a respectable thing. However, in my, you know, for my money, uh, Will Toledo simply is a better musician than Andrew Katz is. He simply is. And there's not really any way around that. Uh, I think that Will Toledo, in terms of uh, songwriting uh, acumen, is like maybe one of my five favorites on earth. And Andrew Katz is nowhere near that. So 
there's really there's there's no way to dice it up that this album is going to be better than the best of car seat headrest that when it was just will uh that said there's plenty to love in the album because andrew uh contributes a lot sonically uh if not in terms of cohesion because this is the least cohesive car seat album ever by far not even close yeah yeah no i mean i was gonna say that overall i do really really enjoy this album but i do think that i mean i it's definitely behind twin fantasy and teens of denial i might even put teens of style slightly above this just because like you said like will is trying to embrace this kind of anonymity with this album and trying to be just part of this whole group but by that token this album is extremely scattered in what it's trying to do like we have these very kind of booming indie techno beats that go back to a song like martin a song that i really like one of my favorites on the album that just could slide into like a teens of denial yeah, super playlist. stripped like, down. It's just acoustic. super stripped down. Yeah, just like very classic indie rock sound. And it doesn't really, nothing about this album meshes. There are a couple songs I don't, that I really don't like on this album um, as much as I do. And I really love uh, a lot of other songs. So it, I'm pretty conflicted about it. Overall, I am really positive. I do think it will end up on my top 10 of the year yeah, because it, I have been listening to this album like, all the time, even like when car seats not at its A game, I'm still going to dig the product. Well, um, I don't think it's necessarily that they're not at their A game. It's just that they're trying something different, yeah. and it works sometimes, and other times it just doesn't. You know, yeah. and I honestly I admire that they're trying to evolve their sound and that they're not trying to fall into a rut. Like that's my biggest takeaway from this album. It feels new, and it feels like they're trying to forge like a new path for the band forward. Maybe the next album will try to go back a little bit and, and just focus more on guitars and, and, you know, more traditional rock sounds. But for me, the best parts of this album are the more kind of out there, electronic, uh, borderline experimental type of sounds, you know, like, again, that song Deadline's Thoughtful. It just sounds like a, it sounds like a house dance techno song. yeah it's like oh. it's like early 2000s uh like house almost it's like yeah. it's like dated in a strange way where i still like love the song yeah uh, can't cool me down has like will's like signature whiny intonation so there's still a lot of that in uh in the the album you know it's not a full-on deviation and i also wanted to shout out uh there must be more than blood which yeah. I just find my myself walking around the house going, there must be more than blood. <laughs> no, I well, I wanted to clarify. I didn't mean not bring their A game like songwriting wise. I meant it as far as cohesion goes because mm -hmm. I think that yeah. Teens of Denial and especially Twin Fantasy are very clear in tone, and just one song just leads right into the other. Where this song, this album. It's a little bit of whiplash from track to track sometimes. Yeah. And I and think that sometimes that that actually works marvelously. Like, I really do like some of the techno sounds. Rob, uh, Deadline's Thoughtful a couple of times. That main synth line that comes at the chorus is, like, one of my favorite synth lines that I've heard in years. Like, it's so incredible and just gets stuck in your head. But other times it just doesn't work, like on uh, Him Remix. I just don't think that's a very good song. Like, I just, I don't, it doesn't, 
it's not catchy really it's kind of repetitive um so it, like it sounds like the idea yeah. of something that i would really love right. but it just never quite comes together in the full let song. me let me give you a quote that i think explains a lot because it's not just the collaboration that makes this album really scattered for me um this is from that same stereo gum interview will said uh I was diving into Bowie a lot during the process of making this record. He has a sort of varied song-by-song song aspect to it, I think, where he just kind of dives in deep and tries to make something unique each time. Um, I think that my issue with, with this process is that when Bowie did that, when Bowie was drawing from all different types of music, it was 40 years ago. And so all music was generally more similar. But now you can draw from different genres that have zero relation to one another because they're like music is so unbelievably fractured. So sometimes drawing from early 2000s techno or like dead mouse or whatever simply cannot be reconciled with also drawing from the cars or whoever else that is, that's not as sensible as back when Bowie was able to do that. When back when jazz and folk were related by like one artist who just changed folk into jazz or whatever. Well, I mean, and to your point, like, there's so many influences all over this album. Of course, Bowie is obvious. David Byrne and a lot of Talking Head stuff yeah. is all over here. Of course, The Strokes. I mean, mostly the thing with The Strokes at this point is, I think Will Toledo, like, views Julian as, like, his god and just wants to become him. Everything about the way that he carries himself, he's just, like, a more-in-his-head version of Julian. Which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. The Strokes are amazing, and Julian is a genius. So, I, I, I do. You, you did write a track by track breakdown for you, so I do want to go into that because I have like individual thoughts on each song. Yeah, essentially, uh, a lot of it comes down to the fact that I love so many songs on this album that it it makes me sad that this album as a whole doesn't deliver on its promise because the promise of it starts with Weightlifters, the opening track. I think it's an incredible opener because it's like a thesis for the album. It's like a proof of concept to say, we are starting with a soul synthesizer sound for almost a whole minute, just like slamming on one note on a synth. And we are going to grow it and grow it in the same way that Will grows all his music like that. Uh, and I think that's an absolute killer song. It's probably around five minutes. And then you go straight to Can't Cool Me Down, which is one of my favorite singles of the year, period. Um, and again, is, is a proof of concept song because it goes heavy electronic and dancey too. Uh, it's a it's a very it's probably the danciest song on the album, um, and it has that organic feel. It feels analog, even though it is digital, which is something that I think that they could have expanded on more. Um, like I love you, the harmonies in a lot of these tracks, and then "Can't Cool Me Down." That's one of the ones where they really ring out. Like the guys are getting really. I don't know if this was the case in past albums but it never really registered to me that the they are capable of doing some really beautiful vocal harmonies yeah no no i agree and also like i wanted to say, this song actually the first couple times i've heard it it really made me think what if lcd sound system did an indie rock song like i feel it just the way that it, it keeps layering on top of each other and building to mm -hmm. that that big triumphant chorus yeah. yeah, and it's, the, the it's little crazy. synth light that's like, it sounds like like somebody on, on stage just yeah. noodling on something. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It sounds analog. It doesn't sound too digitized, even though it is. And I, I wish there was a little more of that because that's an incredible sound to me. 
Uh, also, you were talking about vocal harmonies. Uh, I've been going back through their uh, old, old catalog recently. And the thing that has stuck out to me the most is how much Beach Boys was an early, early car seat. Like vocal harmonies all over the place in every single song uh, in a Beach Boysy type of way. And it was all just Will uh, just building on his own voice. Um, so it was good to hear that come back if, you know, not too much of it because he does uh, insist on having Andrew or his um, guitarist do backup vocals. And like I said, this is a band thing and they're thinking about live shows when they're making these songs. However, uh, Will Toledo has a better voice than both of those guys do. Um, so then you get to Deadline's Hostel, which is, it's, it's a good rock song, but it's very weirdly straightforward to me. And it sounds like it's, it doesn't sound like a throwback so much as it sounds almost a little bit dated. Uh, it, it sounds like, I, I don't, I can't even quite place the year, but it doesn't sound purposefully vintage. It just sounds kind of old. See, I really love this song. Like, no, especially... I do. It is, it's a good song. It's just weirdly straightforward to put after two songs that are very forward-thinking. It doesn't you are, make any sense. You are right about that. That I mean, that's a whole... One of the biggest issues that I do have with this album is the track listing on this thing. Like, I feel like it would make more sense if you started... Like, maybe start the album out with, like, Martin or this song and then build into the this more synthy uh singles or more synthy songs that we have on this album but i do like the way this song builds into the bridge and everything where it has like this little that little section where it's just like i feel it and it just kind of becomes like a little bit of a different song and then everything kicks up in that final chorus that you hear including will just like almost screaming the lyrics at a certain yeah. point it's one of so, the better songs on the album absolutely the um the track list place. the track list is actually different on different releases so the track the order that we see on streaming on spotify is different than the order they put out on the cd and yeah. it's different than the order that they put out on the vinyl oh, so yeah. the the vinyl listing is is super interesting it does start out with weightlifters and then can't cool me down but then it goes to hollywood and then there must be more than blood yeah strange uh that's that's, that's is interesting i've heard about yeah i've had about the order changes and also that there are different versions on different platforms of these songs and then also uh can't cool me down they uh open for interpol at some gigs and in uh, Madison Square Garden, there was a video that, that someone took of them like debuting Can't Cool Me Down, basically. And there's this unbelievably cool synth intro that is, Will said that he made that just for the live performance of it, but uh. it's one of the coolest sounding like minute and a half that he's ever produced. And it's just going to be live, which we will, I'm assuming, see live. But a uh, bit of a bummer there for like the, the mega fans. They were a yeah. little disappointed. We actually were supposed to see them live last weekend at a music festival that then got canceled. But oh, I, boy. <laughs> that we would have seen them on the release of this album. But I did want to say, um, I, I do really like Deadlines a lot. Um, but then it leads into my two least favorite tracks on the album right after this. That is once just a complete tonal change and that's why i feel like will almost maybe he was embracing kind of the playlist shuffle culture a little bit more where like the track list on previous car seat albums it's you can tell that there was some real thought and care put into the ordering of the album where it's led with very it's very classic rock 
uh, how it's set up, where it's led with the big singles or the more poppy songs that back half leads into these seven, eight, 12 minute long ballads, like how old records used to be composed. Um, and I, I don't, I don't love the idea of putting, of just kind of putting different orderings on different platforms and everything. Like I'd rather there be more thought put into the track. List um, Hollywood in general. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the song Hollywood. Um, Ian Cohen Hollywood makes me want to puke. <laughs> so that's issue. Number one is Andrew Katz is doing most of the vocals in this song. It's not the fact that he's yelling because there's plenty of incredible songs that feature yelling. He has a horrible yelling voice. He's not good at yelling. He sounds like shit when he yells. Uh, it, it's also so digitized, those vocals. Like, it, it doesn't even sound necessarily like it's a full-on person. It sounds like it's, he's screaming, but it's, like, so off-pitch that they have to turn, like, the pitch shifter. Like, they have to turn it up to 100. So it's, like, it kind of goes in and out of just being, like, a very auto tune noise. Yeah, and uh, as far as the rest of the song goes, so this is a very, very simple riff that you would find in, like, a Black Keys song. Uh, for example, the doom, 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 doom. Like you could find that anywhere. Eagles of Death Metal song. Uh, a lot of bands would pump out that riff. Ian Cohen reviewed this album for Pitchfork. And I, you know, I disagree with where he ended up. Like I usually do with Pitchfork. He went like harder on the album than I would. But one of the funniest things he said was that Hollywood is, uh, it's Car Seat Headrests Beverly Hills by Weezer. <laughs> in, in that it is simultaneously the most calculated and the laziest song that they've ever made. <laughs> wow uh, i i uh i saw something i think fantano said uh something along the lines of this is a a song that beck would put out but he would be ironic about it and there's <laughs> nothing really ironic about this song it's kind of just a straightforward here you go yeah uh, and the the subject material stays uh very broad until the very end of the song when he like truly near the very end he has lines about like how pedophile rings like run hollywood which is much more interesting uh, songwriting material than just like, I hate these ads. <laughs> I hate these models. Never I hate heard these, that. these movie producers. They're yeah. bad. And then, yeah, we go into him remix. I wrote a lot of uh, more complicated thoughts about all the other songs. This song, I literally just wrote, don't need this one. I don't, I don't <laughs> need it. I don't need it in the album. It's not I, a, can we, can I can appreciate him. I can appreciate <laughs> the, the notion of the song like the kind of scattered kind of jumpy production that they're trying to do. It, it doesn't all come together, but I like, I like the, the initial conceit of it, you know, how, how kind of uh, chopped up it sounds, but yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not a good song. Not a, not a <laughs> highlight. <laughs> I mean, I, this might be like my, well, I guess Hollywood is probably up there as my least favorite song on the album, so, but this is very close to it. It's, it's it just, Will's, it, it, it doesn't do anything. Like it it's Will's nothing. attempt at like Death Grips esque, but it's it's so much more watered down than that. If you yeah. if you listen to One Trade Danger stuff, uh, I I have a feeling that this is an Andrew Katz song. I it it just. <sighs> I get like I like like you said, Ernie. I appreciate the move, but ev not every swing is is the right swing. And then that leads straight into Martin, which is one of my another again one of my favorite singles of the whole year. Uh, I truly Martin and Can't Call Me Down are absolute killer. This is the direction that I thought they'd be going in, and then I was expecting there to be more pensive long songs like Weightlifters or like There Must Be More Than Blood. 
uh, if that was the balance of the song or, or of the album, that balance in between uh, like sort of dancey experimental uh, indie electronic pop and then like more heavy uh, like synth laden, but still uh, rooted in classic rock songs like like Weightlifters. I, this would be an absolute stunner of an album, but we just we have like four different albums in here. Uh, Deadline's thoughtful, like we said earlier. This song is incredible. Like it is an absolute stunner of a song. Um, but like I was saying, the influences with this song don't line up with the influences of even the other electronic songs because there are genres of electronic music now mm-hmm. in our landscape that are unrelated to one another. Yeah, so like, does, I would love to hear a car seat, a full car seat headrest album that is all like techno house dance shit. It'd be very interesting because this song works even though it's like strangely dated uh, in like maybe a non-intentional way. It's such a, it's just an incredible song. It's pulsating. Yeah, throbbing. Oh, yeah. I love uh, it. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm throbbing. Just quickly. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, just quickly go back to Martin. Once again, I love that song. We talked about the single whenever it came out with Can't Cool Me Down. But it just makes no sense in the ordering here that we go from him remix to Martin, which is very much just an acoustic, classic indie rock song, to then Deadline's Thoughtful, which has this booming, pulsating synth in it. Like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, there's no cohesion. And then whatsoever. next up is What's With You Lately, which, again, I wrote, don't need. I was I was going to say, <laughs> if you said I could do without this for a him remix, I would say the exact same thing for What's With You Lately. Um, I, I, I don't Come need. on, let's just have Will just sing the Well, songs. it's just... <sighs> It's it's just a hard move because Will's entire thing was I'm going to sh- I'm going to pump out all these incredible albums with the end goal of eventually being in a collaborative band. I I get that, but like at the same time, uh, you if even if you're in a band, if you're the singer, then I you have the best voice. It's just so maybe you should just sing the song. Well, it's not even the voice. I hate to I hate to because I know that Andrew Katz is one of our most loyal listeners. Yeah, um, we're doing a lot of Andrew Katz hate on this. He's podcast, been he's so been I'm donating sorry. he's been I donating really, for years. I like his. I will say as a positive, I do love his drums on this album. I think of the drums, both the real drums and the the beats that I know he produced this album as well and some of the just the beats themselves on this album are really really good there yeah absolutely uh and i would say more so on this album than on uh the twin fantasy remake or on uh even teens of denial i honestly was a little underwhelmed by andrew's drums so like Mm. when i heard that like andrew was the leading voice in this behind will i was like oh that i don't i'm not sure about that because as a drummer I would call him like a solid drummer. He's not a guy where you're like, you're hearing him do certain things like, oh, wow, he's bringing something to the table here. Um, Production wise, he absolutely is, of course. Him and Will solely produce this album, which is very impressive. Uh, And that's an entirely different skill set than drumming. Um, So props to him for that. So apparently um, on uh, what's it called? Uh, What's with you? What's with you lately? The vocals are ethan oh is that their uh is the lead guitarist yeah okay i don't know i'm trying to verify that well, I, but I knew uh, i knew it was according an to their band camp uh i'm looking at their band camp right now and it says uh yeah 
are they still active on Bandcamp? I mean, I know they started out as a Bandcamp band. Like they are the biggest thing to ever come off of Bandcamp. But I didn't know if they were still active on there. I, I was looking at Wikipedia, which linked to Bandcamp. Uh, and it says that Ethan Ives did do vocals, but Bandcamp doesn't say specifically which songs, even though Wikipedia said that it was on What's With You Lately and Can't Cool Me Down. Um, so I think, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm being mean and yet it doesn't matter because no one will ever hear. But Will essentially, his entire, he wanted his narrative to be I make a ton of solo albums and that attracts the unbelievable talents. And he wanted to create a Led Zeppelin style super group in which just every member is contributing like top, top level material. And that is just not what's happening here. Uh, not that these people aren't talented, but Will is more talented. Or at the very least, Will is the one who makes car seat headrest music. And these guys make music that does not make any sense in a car seat headrest album. <laughs> um, that said, uh, after what's with you lately, we get to life worth missing, which is, uh, I, I think another big, uh, proof of concept style song for the album that fits in perfectly with the half of the album that I absolutely love because it's a great mix of Will's like encyclopedic rock knowledge brain that he has and then forward thinking synthesizers. And mm -hmm. that's what I, exactly what I wanted out of this album. That's what we get a few times. Uh, cause then the next song is there must be more than blood which is it, the, the speed of it and the, uh, the, the weight that you have to put in for a build that kind of comes in but doesn't entirely, that's just Pink Floyd textbook shit. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that is 70s rock. Well, and yet also, we have synths in there that, are, that tell you this is 21st century rock the, music. The sort of pulsating kind of beat that carries it is very lcd sound system like mm -hmm. it, it sounds like a track off of american dream it's very similar to um black black screen i believe it's called yeah i was gonna say because it's not dancey at all but it, it it does have that rhythm to it that like later uh well, i mean LCD. yeah i think exactly. that i think that this album i mean it's a credit to the really the instrumentation behind the album itself that we don't really have a big tension relief moment like we do with that synth coming in the chorus during uh deadlines thoughtful like it just it doesn't really ever hit that big moment and it still carries you through the song like you were just riding this wave the whole way through which i mean i, th I think this is one of the most well-written songs in the album. It's one of my favorite. That it just not just well-written, just uh, lyrics-wise, which I do think the lyrics are like top, top tier on this album, uh, or on this song, I should say. But uh, really, just instrumentation-wise, to keep it interesting without really ever changing what's happening in the song. Like the drums never change, the gu guitars never really change at any point. And this is like a six-minute-long song. Oh, yeah, it feels a lot like some Pink Floyd to me. Uh, which that harkens back to Will's. The thing with all of Will's old albums is he's always had this encyclopedia brain in the same way that Kanye did for hip hop in his prime, where it would be drawing from so many decades, but it was all in the same genre. So it made sense. Uh, the An issue I'm having here is that uh, we are now transcending just rock. So we are 
bringing in decades of every genre of music uh, and other collaborative voices. <laughs> and uh, Will doesn't necessarily know as much about electronic music as he does about rock. And he, they were a lo-fi band, maybe not by choice, uh, but that was, and for example, before this, his most electronic album easily before this was uh, How to Leave Town, which mm -hmm. is an album that I still like more than I like this album. It's very lo-fi, but it has a lot of sense. But the unifying factor of that album is the fuzz. No matter what layer of a track you're listening to, there is that lo-fi element that is, that is truly important into making his albums cohesive. Uh, and that's missing here because our last track is Famous, which is a track where I love the experimentation. It's one of the most experimental tracks that he has ever, ever put out. And yet, I, I'm not crazy about it as a closer for this album. It doesn't like in my brain, it doesn't make sense to end an album on famous necessarily. It, it almost famous kind of more struck me as like, like I feel like famous would be an incredible opener to the album. I mean, I don't really want to replace um, uh, weightlifters yeah. because I love that as an opener, but this feels like another, like maybe this, if it went like right at like the midpoint of the album to like propel it into something new. I don't know. I don't know how exactly it's fixed some. Do I say? I feel like I've been very negative, and I do love this album. I can't no, say I that do enough. Too. I do really love this. I'm only sharing criticism because this is like uh, sharing criticism with one of my like dear friends that I can. Exactly. I, I this is a this is one of my all time favorite bands. And I know far too much about Will Toledo's uh, mythos and history. And so I'm left to compare this. And I'm, I'm a way bigger fan of just general lo-fi than you guys are. So for me, if I'm putting this in their discography in my head, this is my sixth favorite album of theirs. Yeah. And that's not even that much of a detriment because Will Toledo has made maybe 15 albums or something like that. So yeah. it's, not, it's in the top half of my favorite artist's discography. That's so you're, you're telling me I can't find most of the stuff he's put out? Uh, Bandcamp. Oh, oh, it's still up. Okay, good. Bandcamp, and then a lot of them are now on Spotify. Yeah, I'm yeah, looking at Spotify right now. They they did put up How to Leave Town and Monomania, and My mm -hmm. Back is Killing Me, Baby. I was yeah. going to say that I really love um, How to Leave Town, which you said, um, Nervous Young Man, Monomania. Some of those uh, older albums that he's put out are really good. And, I mean, a lot of those songs ended up getting – or there's, like, a song or two from – several of his older albums yeah. that ended up going on teens of style yeah teens of game. style was like a lot of re-recording re-recorded with better quality yeah than... so yeah i would put you know teens of denial is one of my like five favorite albums ever and then i you know the twin fantasy re-recording i would put above the original twin fantasy i would put above uh, how to leave town i probably would as well and then maybe even monomania and that's not saying that this is a bad album because i love this album i think the, it's just the... that like I love the, this guy. The things that work about this album work really, really well. It's just that the individual songs don't necessarily add up to a great album. I mean, I, I, the album, I guess you could consider it great, but I wouldn't call it like excellent or anything like that. Like there are really great ideas in it sonically. Like I love the electronic sound that they're going for. Yeah. I think for the most part, it really, really works and it bodes well for the future of the band if they decide to explore that more so, which I would love. 
Absolutely. Um, I just but, want a little more, bit more craft put into uh, putting, making a cohesive product. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not, not putting in any throwaway songs that are half of an idea because that's like the opposite of what Will has done for his entire career. Yeah. And I, I would love it if they, re- you know, went back a little bit and said, you know, for the next one, we're not going to go so electronic and we're going to focus more on just kind of melodic guitar, uh, more kind of singer songwriter feel stuff that that we used to do but i think that's difficult if they are trying to be more collaborative i think for that to happen it would be like all right we'll take the reins back just do the whole thing solo and then let us know what you came up with i do Which, have a question. i don't know if that's going to happen i do have a question for you guys of if you think that you would like it more as a whole or less because it would just be a shorter album but like back in 2017 before they uh, released their re-recording of Twin Fantasy. They put out the single um, War is Coming, If You Want It, um, which is a pretty good song, uh, far from like one of my favorites. But It's an old, it's a re-recording. It was, but I mean, would you have liked if they would have put out more like singles and then put out an album that's more cohesive? Even something like, like Frank Ocean does this, a lot of artists do that, where they just put out like a number of singles, but then they keep an album that's very concise and just has one idea behind it. I don't know, man. I, that song didn't really have that big of an impact on me. No, not at all. It was a re-recording of a song that sounded better on the original album that yeah. it was on. Um, no, well, I, I know that. I just didn't know if that, if like, because I don't know the answer well, to that question either. If I would like a more cohesive, if I could say this is the album and it all has one sound and then there's like, or even if it was like, two like longer or two like short albums like an a and a b that were just released simultaneously Look, I, the I last would... the last car seat album that came out before this was a remake of old songs this is the first like actually new album we've had in four in, years in four yeah. years so it's a lot of time so and... i i feel like i would rather have this because it's at least like going in a direction even though it's like not a full 100% success, there's a lot of potential if oh, yeah. they want to keep exploring this route. I, I love the idea. I just don't love the execution, but I still love uh, the majority of the album. Like this is going to be on my top 10 of the year, no matter how negative I'm being. <laughs> there's um there's a New York Times piece that I've been meaning to read uh, for a while. I, I skimmed it, but it's called The New Face of Car Seat Headrest. So our boy... Uh, did make it to the big times. You can't actually see his face until you scroll all the way to the bottom of the article because he's in full gas mask mode um, for the the bulk of it. But I just wanted to read a quick little uh, bit of of the article right here. Before this album was recorded, Will told me he wanted to make an album that had the sonic capability of competing with some of the other new pop or hip hop acts at the Coachellas of the world or the Lollapaloozas of the world. So when he was going on stage, he wasn't being overshadowed by whoever else was playing a more futuristic type of music with a more electronic type of palette that he would be able to compete against them and win. So the <laughs> other artist that he gets compared to a lot in being an indie rock auteur is Rivers Cuomo, who also had this exact same. Uh, hump that yeah. he just couldn't get over and tried and failed fucking miserably 
to get over. This is way better effort than anything electronic that Weezer ever tried to do. The guy who who was quoted saying that, that's not the 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 writer of the piece. That's Chris Lombardi, who is the founder of Matador Records, who mm. signed Will Toledo in one within one week of being emailed or shown his Bandcamp profile. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, he, I mean, that's why he is an inspiration to anyone who makes music and his success story. Uh, but also that's why his narrative has almost been hijacked. And he, that's why he's been trying to bucket with trait, which I don't uh, particularly like the idea of that character. It seemed Ian, Ian Cohen, the funniest thing in that whole review that he wrote is uh, he's talking about, Will. he's introduced trait. His gas mask wearing alter ego that writes and sings exactly like Will Toledo. <laughs> <laughs> I I do a, that is a great uh, New York Times article. Uh, I read it back whenever it came out, like a month or two ago. It's been out for a little while now, but um, yeah, almost it's a almost a it, it's not two months. Time as is as, is compressing us all. It's crushing us. Yeah, I I don't know. I live it was in released Groundhog Day now. One, two, um, I think like three weeks ago. Yeah. Well, either way, it's a good uh, article to read if you haven't reached your weekly New York Times limit on articles. Um, Just read you... that read that stereo gum track by track, and you'll you know stereo gum is probably a better. Yeah, I'll link I'll link the New York Times piece, the stereo gum, and the uh, Pitchfork review in the show notes for people to check out. Um, but let's move on to some more music talk with Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Yeah, which is an album that I don't feel qualified to have nearly as many thoughts on as I had about Car Seat Headrest. <laughs> oh, is it because it's a woman, Drew? Is that why? <laughs> uh, uh, yes. <laughs> well, here is one thing about this album. Um, it, it is cohesive. Um, yeah, very much so. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so... We're not going to go through a whole in-depth talk on this album like we just did for Carsey, but I do want to acknowledge that this is the first 10 out of 10 that Pitchfork has given an album since 2010's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. So already, I, I know that Pitchfork's stupid, but already that's a huge deal culturally that that happened. And then you add on top of that, the weight that a Fiona Apple record has for Fiona Apple fans, which we are not. Uh, but for people, this is a huge deal. Like these are monumental events for her to drop an album. Apparently she only drops them like every eight years or something like that. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to say that this is a bad album, but it's not something that I are go am I I'm not gonna actively like put this on. Um, it's one of those that when I listen to it, I'm like, this is very there's a lot of creativity behind this that I can value and I appreciate. But I'm not going to like vibe and listen to it like I would something else. Does that mean I'm sexist or a misogynist? Yeah. Yes. yes, sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, um, this I've actually have been listening to this album uh, a good bit since its release. Um, it's it started like that for me, where I was like, "This is like all Fiona Apple for me. Like, this is so 
incredibly elevated in terms of just the art form. And it's so uh, unique and singular uh, that I don't feel like I should even be allowed to hear it. Um, I don't, it feels like it is for people with like master's degrees in music or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, And And this Pitchfork Pitchfork even called it like a new sound of music or something like that. Like music has never sounded like this before. Um, It kind of has, uh, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, in her old albums that she made, (laughs) but regardless, this is an, it's like an unbelievable uh, achievement by Fiona. Uh, all of her albums are really, really, really good. Uh, I, I've been a little, a bit confused about the drastic departure that people ha- have been discussing from her last album, which sounds, as far as like general music goes, it's about as similar as you can get just because like not a lot of music sounds like Fiona Apple in general. Um, but this album goes deeper into the well of abstraction, which again is the reason that it is hard to put this on and just fully vibe with it for most people. Because when you get into arrhythmic abstract music, uh, not a ton of people, you know, put on like progressive jazz, for example. However, this is a really, really cool album uh, that does certain things that I wish that music would do more often. I'm I'm kind of surprised that you guys aren't more digging this album. I guess I I listen to the most experimental music out of the three of us here on this podcast. Oh, do ya? Oh, oh, do ya? Oh, yeah, let me let like me go Kobe grab or let me go grab my my math rock posters and set them up behind me so you can see my this town needs gun poster and everything. Yeah, this is so, this is so um, math rock. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but more experimental type of music and I I fucking love this album. I've been listening to this album like all the time like yeah, really I've been, I've been listening to this and it gets like better and better with every time that i'm listening to it like i think that this album it is i don't know if i would give this a like say that this is the best album like this and um and um uh my beautiful dark twisted fantasy which is the last album that pitchfork gave tens i don't know if i'd say this is the best album since uh that album that kanye record but i do think that this album is really really awesome and it's got it's so pop with her lyrics and uh with her cadences and hooks but whenever you listen to it i've been listening to it with just like pretty nice headphones and just kind of trying to like dive into all of the layers of sound and everything that are on this album and it's just it's so i mean Talking about the production is, it's almost like I feel not qualified to talk about how well produced this album is because she can just turn like dissonant noises into just like a beautiful melodic tone. But I just think that the songwriting itself and um, just a lot of kind of the catchiness of the album is really there for me. I mean, specifically the first song, I Want You to Love Me, which is this like, very piano driven ballad and then the way that that piano just kind of kicks into high gear and it's almost the same melody as it goes into shamika and like really it it sounds so simple the drums and everything that's happening on this album but then whenever you just dive into it it's really great um i want you to love me i love just a sidebar the maniacal laugh that she has at the end of that track I feel like that's like a perfect setup to the album as a whole as we just kind of fall into madness with Fiona Apple on this journey that she goes down. 
Um, so I think that there are some songs on this that I am going to find a lot of replay value in. Um, Co uh, Cosmonauts and Newspaper are like I, the two that I feel like I'm going to be more inclined to return to in the whole thing. But overall, I feel like this is one of those cases where just because it doesn't quite line up with my personal uh, musical taste uh, per se doesn't mean that I can't appreciate the artistry in the album because this is an album to, talking about the production, this is an album that is able to capture a real sense of space where when you are listening to it with really nice headphones, you kind of do feel like you're in a room with the instruments and with Fiona, like you are kind of there with her. And there is this real raw kind of strung together feel. It is very well produced and very well put together, but it kind of, in a really good way, it does feel like it was just kind of loosely assembled. You know, there are some moments of pure, spontaneous sounding genius in this album. You know, you got your pots and pans sounding percussion. You got your meandering sort of structure to the, the songs. There's even a moment where dogs start barking um, in the background. And I haven't really heard much music like that you know um so i i i do admire the artistry a hundred percent uh i just don't think that overall it's an album that i'm going to just kind of put on repeat a lot instinctually uh like i would some you know something else i i feel like i kind of have to like you know prepare myself all right here we go it's fetch the bolt cutters time this is a a, a, a huge creative undertaking to stomach. Uh, but once you're in, once you do kind of make that jump, there is a lot to love in there. A lot of really cool moments. Like the two songs I shouted out, like a uh, newspaper, there's like this clapping sort of motif that happens where it does feel again, like you are in this room and there are a lot of people clapping along with you. And it's sort of, comes together in this sort of percussive way uh and again the 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 percussion on this album is like they're they managed to make beats without feeling like they use a single drum you know yeah. it's it's like it, i mean i'm sure they use drums but it doesn't sound like it it sounds like just like household objects and things like that it's really impressive well, I also really love, I mean, shout out Newspaper, which is one of my favorite tracks on the album because it's, it reminds me of, this is kind of a stretch of a comparison aside from them just both being singer-songwriters, but of some of La Del Rey's work where she can write a song that's so fucking depressing whenever you like dive into the lyrics of it all, but it has like a good hook that like, and you talk about the clapping, it like kind of makes you like bob your head a little bit until you're like really listening under the surface to what she's singing on. It's really tragic. And I mean, I think there's a lot of that throughout this entire album on here. Um, I also love, love the song ladies. I think that that is just like an incredible yeah, yeah. song. It is such just a, banger and i ladies does something that she does a lot on this album where it's 
it's very complex. And like I said, listen to it with headphones and you can hear all the elements of it. But on the surface, it just has a very like simple progression or a very simple melody that drives the whole song. And I've heard like some, because of course, Pitchfork gave it a 10. So everybody has to come out of the woodwork um, and say, no, this isn't a 10. This album is bad. But a lot of people are complaining well, a lot of people, uh, usually uh, uh, Twitter Twitter mentions that are dudes, um, are saying like it feels uh, like half of a song, which I just couldn't disagree more with. I think that whenever you have a good melody and a beautiful voice like this, I think that that is enough to carry a song. Really, if I was going to compare Fiona Apple to anybody just with her voice, I'd compare her to Stevie Nicks. I think mm-hmm. she actually sounds a lot like Stevie Nicks, and if Stevie Nicks like was transported into 2020 to make like modern music or future facing music, I think that they would probably sound something like this. Um, also cosmonaut you talked about before. Yeah. So good. That hook is just killer. I've just been singing that hook in my house, like all the time. And I, I just think it's beautiful. And the last track on the album on, I go is kind of this very like, bittersweet ending to the album that it just has all this emotional weight to it but it's still it doesn't ever feel nothing on this album ever feels drab in any way like it always is propulsive no yeah it's uh i'm kind of the opposite of what you said ernie where there were certain tracks that would pull you back uh there are certain tracks that i like more than others but this is one of the albums where if if I am to put it on, uh, it's a whole album listen through, yeah. uh, which those albums uh, sometimes, unfortunately, I listen to less because of that. But like, if no, I, hear- I agree. I agree with that. That's that's kind of what I was trying to say is that it, it, there's there's a, a, a lower chance of me putting the 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 album just on shuffle whenever, you know, it's more of like, a, all right, track one. Here we go. Where it's an experience. Yeah. And well, and if, uh, if this is anyone's introduction into Fiona Apple, just listen to the rest of her stuff because all of her albums make sense in terms of naturalistic progression forward. Uh, and none of them are bad. Uh, but also it's, it almost reminds me of what I was talking about with MGMT's last album, where they're the people that they influence, like started influencing them. Um, because you can hear tune yards all over this album and tune yards is, one of the most clear uh uh I, well, I guess what would you call it? like acolytes if that's a word maybe i don't know don't sure. look it up anybody no one looked that up <laughs> uh of of fiona apple in terms of uh raw vocals uh involving feminine power and then really naturalistic organic almost tribal drum sounds yeah. uh yeah so to hear fiona dive really really deep into that well that she introduced like not too long ago, but didn't go as hard. And then Tune Yards took it farther. And now she is taking it as far as it can possibly go within the context of her own music. Uh, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this album. Like it is, it is the best album that's come out this year. It yeah. just is, it's not the one that I'm going to listen to the most. Uh, mm-hmm. Also because a lot of it, the subject matter, it sounds like it is just like, I almost feel like I'm intruding. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because uh one of the key things with this uh kind of the theme of the album is like this sort of uh 
uh, woman, uh, the freedom, female freedom um, that women should take more of a hold of, you know, to, to break free of the, the patriarchal oppression um, that has been so common in human history. And it's this sort of, in a way, it's, it's this, this breaking open, this catharsis. Um, and that's something that as men, we just don't understand. And I can appreciate the album from like a, a certain artistic point of view, but I don't feel the exact things that Fiona Apple is feeling and that a lot of women feel because I'm a man and, and I haven't been oppressed by the patriarchy. I, well, I am as the resident feminist of the podcast. Oh I think I have some things to say. No, I, I just, I mean, I think you guys should also keep listening to it. Cause I think I am glad we are giving a review on this album, like uh, two weeks later than the rest of the world has talked. I feel like this album came out forever ago, but also once again, I could just be slowly diving into insanity. Time isn't um, real. <laughs> time is a construct is what I'm learning from all of this. But I, uh, I think I was more similar with you guys where I was like, this is a really good album that I just, I don't know if it's made for me and it's still not made for me, but that's not taking away anything from this. The more I've listened to this album, like nonstop this past week. And mm. this is honestly vying for like my favorite album of the year. Yeah. We're all going to be uh, like eating our words when we do our best of 2020. Oh, I'm sure. And I also, ju- I also refuse to have my narrative stolen by Hunter. I love this album. And I, I have from the jump. Drew as, as a fan said, Drew, we will have to get it on record that Drew did say that this album is bad. Cause it doesn't talk about, it doesn't talk about men. There's yeah. no men singing. I miss um, Will Toledo talking about doing acid and being annoying for eight hours. <laughs> that's what I can relate to. I also wanted to shout out the track uh, Under the Table. I think that's one of the, yes. the best tracks in yeah. the album. It has a kind of like Cosmonauts that really kind of uh, earworm sort of hook. Um, and again, the, the percussion. I, I can't shut up about the, the percussion. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. I mean, Fiona Apple, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin was just sitting, sitting at his home in LA, just like, cool. Tim and Paul album, at least if nothing else, I can say I made the best produced album of the year. And then Fiona Apple just surprise dropped this shit. And he's like, wow. You also said this about uh, Donald Glover. Well, <laughs> that's an album that I haven't revisited. So mostly because I don't know the song titles. Yeah. So how about you me- fucking write titles for your songs, Donald? Okay. Yeah, while you're at it, you know, maybe write better songs. Or- <laughs> Um, all right, boys, let's move on to some TV talk this week before we wrap it up. We're going kind of long, um, so let's try to, to be quick on this. Drew, what you got? Uh, yeah, not a ton to say, except I just want to recommend Three Busy Debras on Adult Swim. Uh, it is from a like longtime uh, sketch and improv troupe called Three Busy Debras, of which I have been a fan for a while. Uh, I talked about Beef House a few weeks back, which is like Tim and Eric's new uh, deranged, like absurdist sitcom. This is a, kind of a good companion piece of that. It's pure absurdism uh, to the highest degree. Uh, and I really loved every second of it. There's not, you know, it's not giving you like a ton to chew on or anything. It just, it has a very unique aesthetic. It's these three uh, suburbanite, very rich uh, housewives who just live these empty lives. And uh, it is not, in any in any realm of reality the the through lines 
that the show follows are what is the funniest thing that we can do. Uh, but then also it plays on these ideas of just like these insanely suppressed uh, women living these supposedly perfect lives and just harboring so many unbelievably dark emotions. Um, it's just a really fun show. I've watched every episode yesterday and it, it's a breeze. It's a short show and there aren't a ton of episodes. You can find them on adultswim.com and then you need a cable login for the, uh, all of them, but you can watch a few for free. Six episodes. Yeah, big recommend. Ooh. Big fan. I've been a big fan of Mitra Johari and Sandy Hennig uh, specifically for a long, long time. So they they write and star in every episode. Yeah. And, and it, then it Anna, just feels very like, yeah, go ahead. Anna does... Dokoza directs all of them. Yeah, I, it's just, it feels like it is wholly their product. And that's, you know, that's, I'm always, you know, that's always a special thing to watch when uh, people who have had ideas for years and years finally get their chance to make it and uh, it works out. It's a great, the the ensemble cast is great. Their enemy in their neighborhood is uh, Anthony Atamanik, who has been playing Donald Trump uh, way better than Alec Baldwin ever could uh, on like Comedy Central shit. But yeah, just a general fan of the show. Cool. All right, I'll check it out. It's only six eps. It's three busy Debras on Adult Swim. Uh, all right, next on TV Ketchup is The Eddie on Netflix. Uh, guys, a new Damien Chazelle show came out on Netflix. And nobody knows, nobody cares, nothing. I had to so, search for it. Did you watch any of it, Ernest? I watched the first episode, yes. Okay, so so did I. So, um, haven't seen the whole thing. Do you want to clarify, this isn't a true Damien Chazelle project, like it's being touted as it was. He directs the first two. He doesn't write any of it, and he's not even like a true showrunner. Oh, he okay. just produces and directs two of the, the first There is a lot of jazz. Uh, so, there's <laughs> a, so, that's another reason why it's just being chalked up as another... <laughs> Damien loves his fucking jazz music. Hey, there is a black person this time. Um, wow. I, uh, it is funny that uh, this show was released and apparently most people just didn't know. I think Netflix knows that I'm in the pocket of Big Chazelle. He was my number one pick in the director's draft. I have seen everything that Damien Chazelle has done. So, of course, this just popped up immediately in my front page. Um, I am not completely sold on the show after the first episode i will admit um i like the direction of the first episode uh but i'm not sure if there's enough carrying it basically the main premise is it's based in paris uh andre holland is a kind of tbd as of right now on like maybe he's a former famous uh trumpeteer some kind of a famous he's musician. a club owner but the, I mean, the people, Eddie, the titular club, the Eddie in Paris, he owns the, or he runs it. Yeah. But a lot of people are like trying to like sneak take his picture and stuff. So I do like one thing about the show, which is uh, my least favorite thing, and especially pilots of television, where they hand, they spoon feed you all of the exposition up front so you can jump right in with these characters. I do like the way that information is being doled out in this first episode where we aren't really told anything. We're just kind of plopped down in here with this person. And my guy, Andre Holland, I who yeah, I just... Moonlight, high-flying bird. Absolutely love uh, Andre Holland and everything that he does. He makes every project that he's in better. 
And I think that he has done a lot of the heavy lifting so far in the show with his performance. Uh, there are some good uh, supporting cast members. Yeah. But he is my main Dude, highlight. Huge shout out to Joanna Kulig of Cold yeah. War, who plays Maja. Maja? Maja? Maja. Um, yeah, I think she's outstanding. She sings too. It's beautiful. I love the first episode. I thought it was great. I can definitely see why you're apprehensive, especially since Chazelle is not like a creative uh, overseer on the whole project. This is more of a Jack Thorne's baby who has worked a lot in like British television. Um, he, he was involved in the Harry in a Harry Potter film. Yeah, the yeah. cursed child or something like that. Um, so I could I could see why you know it's it's like a little bit of like a of a step back like okay hold on like this is not a, a full on Chazelle thing but it is shot on film uh, or at least the Chazelle ep the eps are I have heard some some chatter that Netflix only allowed Damien Chazelle to shoot on film and not the other directors <laughs> of all the other why? episodes. I, I don't fucking know because he's an pricey, Oscar baby. winning he's an Oscar winning director so he gets he gets to do what he wants, um, but I I like the I like the music I like the setting I like the characters I also like that it's it's not a show about the jazz itself it's more about like uh, I don't want to be spoiler I don't want to be too spoiler but it's kind of like a crime show a little bit in a way. It's more about kind of like the the dark underbelly of Paris, the not the glitz and the glamour uh, that you see a lot of times, but it's it's a little bit more about the the murkiness. Um, and there is a thing, there is a big thing that happens in the first episode that, frankly, I saw coming a million miles away. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a classic Netflix thing where there's like a twist that happens in the first episode that's supposed to make you start episode two. Yeah. But it's one thing about the show that I do like, and I'm not sure if it'll change after the Chazelle episodes, but I really like how slow this show is. That it's yeah. very different from other Netflix things where like you can just kind of like chill with it and you're not like the oh my God, the episode ended on this. I have to fire up episode two now. Like it is kind of taking its time. And you're right. I've heard that, um, again, I've only seen the first episode, but I have heard that each episode focuses more on- It's a different, a different character. character. Yeah. 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 So, and also, I again, to your point about it being a little bit more chill, the music, like there's just extended mm. sequences of just music. Um, but I think you can say that this isn't a show- about whether or not jazz needs to be saved. It's more about whether the characters in the show need to be saved. Okay, Maybe I'm, jazz I'm needs fully to not them. interested now that you said that. Um, moving on. <laughs> it's a good show. It's a good show. Yeah. I enjoy it. I recommend it if you're, if you're down. Uh, again, the performances are, I think, the key here. Andre Holland and um, the girl from... What's it called? Cold War. Cold War. Cold War. Yeah, um, no, they, she's good. Like I said, I'm not out on this show. I'm just, I'm, I am curious. I'm just, I'm not diving headfirst in first. I'm like dipping my toes in right yeah, now. I, I feel like if we watch through it, we could maybe entertain the idea of a full-on uh, talk of all eight episodes if it's worth it. Because I think there is potential. 
Hey, I will talk about Damien Chazelle anytime that I possibly can. Youngest uh, Best Director winner in Academy history. My hero. I, I love this dude. Uh, don't know if I would ever want to actually like have a conversation with him because I bet he's very pretentious. But hey, we still All love right. the guy. We got to wrap it up. But before we do, I just want to talk real quick about the Indiana Jones trilogy, um, which I watch. I kind of marathoned it. Uh, the last couple days. Uh, the first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course, high tier Spielberg, like no question about it. Fucking masterpiece, perfect film. I want to talk more about the sequels, Temple of Doom and Last Crusade, yes. which I hadn't seen in ages, like so, so long. I watch Raiders like all the time and I just never watch uh, Temple of Doom and Last Crusade and I was like fuck it I'm not doing anything else let's watch them they're all on Netflix right now uh, and there's no other Indiana Jones movies this is the, the this are the only three Indiana Jones this movies. is this is Shia LaBeouf erasure and I will not stand <laughs> for it so Temple of Doom is like uh, very erratic with its tone a little bit because at times it's very like silly cartoon kind of kid friendly violence. And then it takes a hard fucking right. And it becomes the most violent demonic shit you've seen in your life. It gets so intense and the movie doesn't like quite balance those two tones really well. It's like, Oh, do we want to be a fun kid friendly action movie? Or do we want to be like this dark, bloody, disgusting thing? And overall, it's like pretty entertaining. Um, I'd say like very entertaining and efficient with how it, I mean, it's Spielberg. So of course it's great. Um, but the biggest thing that keeps it from far from perfection is that in 2020, uh, it is viewed as very racist against yeah. Indian people. Uh, and it's, I, it, it's just, I know it was a different time back then, man. But shit, was there not a Indian man that could have saved the village from the, you know, heart eating demon worshipers? It had to be white man, Indiana Jones that had to come in and save the village. And then everybody praised him. Of like, course, come on, man. Of course, white savior, man. But, uh, oh, it's rough. Hey, but last crusade though. Last I, Crusade. I think Last Crusade is better than Temple of Doom. I see. I don't know. I don't know because I I do love me some Sean Connery. I think he's amazing. But Temple of Doom goes so in, all in with the demonic shit. It, it it dude. There's a scene where like a guy is lowered into a pit of lava, and another guy is holding the guy's heart in flames. And it, just the entire set that they built. That's the thing about these two movies is like, they're not as good as the original Raiders, but they fucking crank up the budget. Like there are some exquisite production design, expensive looking shit in both of these movies. In Last Crusade, there's like a throwaway scene where they put together this huge Nazi rally. And it's like so many Nazis, like flags and, 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 soldiers and shit and it's like this one quick scene um and yeah i did want to say about last crusade though it opens with young river phoenix as young indy 
And it just got me thinking like, God damn, one of the biggest tragedies in the history of Hollywood was the death of River Phoenix. And if we could have gotten the young indie film series starring River Phoenix, I think the world could have been a little better. So sad. And, you know, maybe the, 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 the reason why Joaquin um, did go ahead and go full clown and shoot De Niro is because he lost his brother. I was going to say it's trauma. Yeah. yeah. What do you get when you cross a guy with a dead brother and a society <laughs> that doesn't care about him? Uh, exactly. You get, you get uh, Joker 2019. <laughs> exactly. Academy Award winning film. Um, all right. Well, oh, what a downer to end the podcast on. We were having such a good time. Then, <laughs> hey, Sean Connery as Professor Henry Jones. Incredible, incredible. You know, a, a father son adventure for the ages. That's what that whole movie's about. You know, it's just about a father who is obsessed with his work, letting go of it because he has to reconnect with his son. And I think that's where we can leave you today, listeners. So thank you. You're welcome. For listening. Um, if you listen to the Car Seat album and the Fiona Apple album, let us know what you think. Both great albums, uh, despite some of the criticisms that we voiced. I think they're both pretty, pretty, pretty great. Um, so let us know over on at we bought a mic on Twitter, we bought a mic at gmail.com. Follow us all on Twitter and Letterboxd. Also, you can donate anchor.fm slash we bought a mic. Thanks to Brian and Brett for donating. Feel free to leave us a voicemail over on Anchor if you want. And you can also please leave us a review on your preferred platform. Apple Podcasts is usually the go to if you want to leave us a, a five star on there. We'll give you a shout out on the pod. Uh, maybe I'll mail you a copy of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Ooh. If you give us a five-star review, maybe I'll do, do you just like, have it. Do you just have like an extra copy of Chamber I do. of Secrets lying yeah. around? Yeah, I do. Oh. I have two. Okay. So I could give one away. We could do a giveaway. So whoever <laughs> whoever sends in the best five-star review on Apple Podcast um, with your thoughts on um three busy debras um, <laughs> or anything else that you want maybe you just want to share uh how much you love your pet uh lizard you know that could be something we should say we will not uh provide uh harry potter and the sorcerer's stone or depending on your region harry potter and the philosopher's stone no you will just have chamber to, of secrets you will have to get that first book just yourself so no, talking about the movie. Oh, oh, the movie. Yeah, talking yeah, about the, the movie. DVD. Yeah, the DVD. Yeah, two disc special edition. Um. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Take care. Listen to our bad education review, and we'll see you next week. Hopefully, the plan for next week is to do a deep dive into Community, the TV show. So stick around for that uh, in a week. And we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.